I'm going to try to summarize the discussion that we had on Shabbat morning. We had a kind of a impromptu shiur on Midrash Rabbah that consisted of just basically opening up the uh, Midrash Rabbah to Parashat HaShavua, Parashat Emor, and reading the first passage there. So I'm going to read it. I have it here in front of me uh, on the computer. I pulled it up on Sepharia and uh, try to reconstruct to the best of my recollection uh, what the points were that we made. And if anybody notices anything missing, please uh, please share it. So, this is the opening of Vayikar uh, It's Per Kaf Vav. It's Parashat Emor. So this is an opening, as uh, is typical in the Midrashim, that you'll have a peticha, which is basically... Uh, when when a particular rabbi would discuss a certain parasha, he would start by introducing it with a kind of general, what we might call a philosophical or uh, uh, sort of a broad uh, statement or set of ideas that connects to the parasha before diving into the details of the parasha. So it says, Imrot Hashem Amrot This is a uh, very famous uh, pasuk from Tehilim. The statements of Hashem are pure statements. So it says, Imrot Hashem Amrot Teorot. So what does it mean in Tehillim where it says that the statements of Hashem are pure? It means to contrast them with the statements of human beings that are not pure. Usually in the world, if a human king comes into a certain, uh, a certain uh, province, everybody is praising him, and he enjoys it. So Amalem, he says to them, He promises them, Oh, tomorrow I'm going to build you uh, all kinds of things. I'm going to bring you, I'm going to build you uh, uh, bathhouses. I'm going to build you a stadium, whatever it is that he promises them, because he's so pleased with how they're treating him. I'm going to bring a new water channel for you. But that king who made all those promises, he goes to sleep and he never wakes up. So where is he and where are his statements? So uh, this is what it's saying, that his statements are not pure. We have to understand what that means, of course. This is not the way with uh, the Holy One, blessed be He. God is true. The Midrash continues on and says, why is He true? Because He is the living God and the King of the world. So the question is, what is the point? What is the idea here? What is Rebbe Tanchuma, or Rebbe Tanchum rather, trying to, uh, trying to convey with this, uh, this parable about the king who comes into the province and saying that Hashem is true? Uh, what does it mean Hashem is true because he is the living God and the king of the world? What does being true have to do with being alive and king of the world? It's kind of odd in the contrast with the human being who makes promises and dies. That just seems to be a fact of life. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with purity. So what we suggested was that purity and has to do with the uh, independence from the constraints of the material, independence from the interference uh, or the influence of the physical. And the human being, no matter what his ideas are, no matter what his plans are, no matter what uh, his dreams are, he's limited by the physical and therefore the physical can uh, overpower him. In other words, whatever he says is dependent upon and contingent on the physical world cooperating. And that's what we say in Tehillim every day. We say in the Psuke de Zimra, uh, we mention that uh, that on the day that he dies, uh, all of his promises and all of his plans uh, are lost. Uh, and therefore, a person should only trust in God, who is the real creator of the universe and therefore has the power 
to deliver on his promises. And one who lives in accordance with God's will, therefore, is guaranteed blessing. And one who satisfies the uh, whims of, a, of another human being, no matter how good that human being, must realize that whatever promises and whatever guarantees are all contingent. So it's about contingency in the material sense. And then this makes sense and it connects with the idea of God is the God of truth. It really connects directly and it's be- it beautifully connects actually to the Rambam, first parak of the Rambam. And I think some of the guys were actually learning that as part of the Rambam Yomi had, that had just started. So that was uh, very timely that the Rambam talks about this very idea of Hashem Elohim Emet. He quotes this pasuk from Yirmiyahu, uh, God is true, meaning to say what? That every other existence is contingent. Every other existence, every other statement is contingent. I could say the sun is going to rise tomorrow, but that's of course contingent on God willing it to rise. I can make the best prediction possible based on the uh, the information available to me, but it's still contingent on God's will. In that sense, anything that I say is not a pure statement. It's not amarot tarot. It doesn't uh, it doesn't constitute pure statements because it's not something which is independent of uh, physical constraints. In fact, it is embodied, it is limited by uh, the physical and, uh, and influenced by the physical and dependent upon that. And therefore, uh, no matter what I say, if the physical world doesn't uh, cooperate, it, will be, uh, it won't come true. Whereas HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Hashem Elohim Emet, his existence is totally independent. It is true in the sense that it's not contingent on anything. We can say God exists Absolutely. That's why he's the only one who exists absolutely. Emet means true, totally non-contingent and absolute. His essence and his existence are one. Everything else that exists, exists because its existence is given to it. God's existence is not given to him. It's not separate from his essence. It is his essence to exist. uh, And therefore, um, and therefore he is true. And, and that's what it means that God is Elohim Chaim Umelechulam. He's the living God who's the master of the universe, the king of the universe, meaning to say that his existence is intrinsic and is the, and in that way is superior to all other things and everything else is dependent upon him. And we mentioned the, as an aside, uh, the idea of in the tefillah saying Chay Olamim versus saying Chay Olamim and how the Rambam uh, speaks about Chay uh, Hashem, that whenever we speak about God in the Tanakh, we always say Chay Hashem, uh, as God lives. We don't say the life of God because that would imply that the existence of, that God's life or existence, so to speak, is separate from him, his, from his nature, that there's his life and there's him. So therefore it always says Chay Olamim, as God lives, I promise this, David HaMelech will say, um, whereas when you talk about Paro, you say Chei Paro, because the life of Paro and Paro himself are two different things. And so we just mentioned that uh, even though that's true, um, still Rav Kapach had said that the correct, uh, the correct version of Yishtabach is Chei HaOlamim, because it means God gives life to the world, not Chai Olamim, because Chai Olamim would mean he lives the world or he lives uh, which he is the life of the world or he lives the world or something like that, which is, according to Rav Kapach, not correct. Really, it should be Cheolamim because it's speaking about how God gives life to the world. He's the one that gives life, gives existence to everything else, not Cheolamim because it's not talking about Hashem's existence. It's talking about the existence he gives to uh, other uh, creations. So that was the first part of the Midrash. And then the Midrash goes on, and this is where um, we had a, we. We came up upon a, a nice uh, question that led us to a beautiful, beautiful insight. Um, it says, moving on, 
pure statements, Rabbi Yudan b'shem Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Barachia b'shem Rabbi Elazar, and I had pointed out that these are early Amoraim, which shows you the lateness of this Midrash, that Midrash Vayikar Rabba was one of the later Midrash Agada, uh, as opposed to Barishit Rabba, which is an earlier one. Um, these are early Amoraim, Rabbi Yaakov d'kvar Chanin, v'amrin la b'shem Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, some say it in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. All of these are from the same generation. Matzinu she'ikem ha'kadosh baruch hu shmone otiot, v'lotzi davar megunem ipiv. We find that Hashem extended the Torah by eight letters, despite the uh, economic, uh, usually the efficient writing of the Torah, that it limits the amount of words and letters used. Here we find that Hashem added eight letters just to avoid saying a, uh, a, a, a negative thing, a davar megune. When it talks about the animals that Noach is gathering, it says the pure animals and the animals that are not pure. Instead of saying the impure animals, it says the animals that are not pure. Um, this is also found in Masechet Psachim, in the beginning of Masechet Psachim, the same Agadah. In another place, there are even two or three additional words added to the Torah. So Hashem doesn't have to say a, uh, an impure thing from his mouth. As it says, it says, from all the animals that are not pure, um, it doesn't say, Asher Tmeahi, that's again in the case of Noach, but even when Hashem wanted to give us the mitzvot of the Torah, it started only, the Torah only started with Torah with the purity, it doesn't say the camel, uh, doesn't have a split hoven, kitivkan, ela, kima It starts with the positive. It has the quality of chewing its gut, but it doesn't have a split hoven. Et the shafan, kiloma fris parsao, oinomer. It doesn't say that the uh, shafan, we'll leave, a, we'll leave it up to your judgment what that is. The shafan uh, doesn't have a split hoven, but chews its, it doesn't say, ela, kima Rather, it starts with what it does have, which is it chews its gut. So too with the other animals. In other words, it starts only with the positive, with the, uh, the with the aspects that are quote unquote kosher, as opposed to the unkosher. So the question is, what is the meaning of this uh, additional piece of the midrash? Um, one of our distinct, very distinguished uh, guests uh, who was with us on Shabbat, um, participants in the shiur mentioned that, you know, really, the, the, seemingly, this is just what we call a musar scale. This is just an ethical teaching. A person shouldn't, uh, shouldn't say a negative thing, shouldn't say an impure thing, shouldn't say, uh, use bad language, uh, because you see that Hashem avoided saying anything distasteful, talking about impure things. The reason why I wasn't satisfied with that answer is number one, it's not real. It doesn't really flow with the beginning of the midrash, which is talking about God's purity and Hashem Elohim Emet. Number one, number two, it's Haikar Chaser Minasefer. The main point then that we should avoid saying impure things or derogatory things isn't even mentioned in the midrash. If that, if really it's an ethical teaching, it should have started out by saying Leolam Al Yotzi Adam. If a person shouldn't say a negative thing, because Hashem avoided saying a negative thing by adding eight letters, we should also avoid uh, negativity and we should also avoid um, making any statements that are impure. But it doesn't mention anything about human beings. It's talking about Akadosh Baruch Hu. It's saying that Hashem avoided 
saying anything negative or mentioning impurity, using the words that which is not pure, or even when talking about the impure animals, mentioning their pure characteristics before mentioning the characteristics that make them disqualified. So the question is, what is it really saying about Hashem? Assuming, and again, as I mentioned in the shiur, we have to take the Midrash seriously. We have to assume it's not just a something off the cuff. All these rabbis, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Shul ben Levi, all these rabbis came up with this point that is just really a, a, a very simplistic ethical point that they noticed. First of all, it's uh, it's a very simple point. And secondly, it's a point that, um, you know, that, that is difficult to, to really, I mean, w- w- the fact is that it says the word Tameh many, many times in the Torah. So one time Hashem didn't say the word Tameh or one, one or two times Hashem put the pure characteristics before the impure. That shows that he avoids. No, on the contrary, 90% of, 95% of the time, 99% of the time it says the word Tameh. One, two, one or two times it says the word that which is not pure, or it mentions the pure, the characteristics that are kosher before the non-kosher. The rest of the time it uses the word tame, tame, tame. So what does that tell you? Maybe most of the time we should say negative things and, and, and only once in a while say uh, pure things. How do you know that it's trying to send a message about what the right way to speak is? What is really the idea? We have to take the Midrash seriously. And if it's telling us, if the Midrash is, is conveying something about Hashem and about Hashem's purity and Hashem's truth, then we have to try to understand Understand and unpack what idea it is in you know uh, attempting to uh, to communicate to us. So what I wanted to suggest, and again this was just off the cuff, we were sitting and learning the midrash together in the Beit Midrash. This wasn't a um, worked out idea. This wasn't a fully developed idea or fleshed out, or it was what I call a half baked idea, just off completely off the cuff as we were sitting and discussing. I suggested the following: that perhaps the idea is this: that it's easy to think as in many primitive systems, that Tum'ah, the idea of Tum'ah is a kind of a taboo system like they had in the primitive world where some kind of a negative energy, bad juju, evil force, whatever it is, demonic force is associated with the excluded object. The, uh, the avoided object has some negative power to it that we're trying to stay away from, that we're afraid of even, you could say. And therefore, um, what is Tame is much more interesting, is much more, uh, it, we're much more attentive to what is Tame than what is Tahor because what is Tameh is really what is of concern. What's of concern are the things that are impure because they embody this demonic force, this scary power that we're trying to stay away from and distance ourselves from. That's how you might understand Tumah, that Tumah is a certain kind of a force or a substance. What the Torah, is t- what the Midrash, I believe, is trying to say is no, that the emphasis is actually not on Tumah. The emphasis is on Tahara. Tara is that which is capable of being utilized for avodat Hashem. That which has no impediment by virtue of its, nothing about its physicality prevents it from being used in avodat Hashem. And, uh, and, and therefore, Tumah is just that which doesn't qualify, that which doesn't make the cut. But the essential concern of the Torah is not the Tameh things. On the contrary, the essential concern of the Torah is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is Kadosh V'Tahor, as we said before. And therefore, the essential concern of the Torah is how to utilize objects, how to utilize the physical world as an instrument, as a vehicle to come closer to Hashem. And therefore, really, the emphasis is on what is Tahor, not on what is Tameh. So I think what the Midrash is trying to say is that therefore, if the Torah would 
would directly come out and say, these are the animals that are tahor and these were the animals that were tamay. Or if it would start out by saying, these are the tamay animals that you should avoid. These are the characteristics that make something tamay. As if the main category was the tamay things and anything that's not tamay, ipso facto, that makes it tahor. If, we, if it were framed in that way, then we would think that tuma, the main thing is avoiding tuma, but that's not correct. The main thing is attaining tahara, is having those things that are tahor so that we can utilize them in, in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we can be tahor, we can prepare ourselves and make ourselves into worthy vehicles of Yediyat Hashem, Avodat Hashem, Kiddush Hashem, that's really the goal. And therefore, even when the Torah introduces the kosher animals, it says, These are the animals you shall eat. And it describes what the tahor animals are. And when it talks about the animals that don't make the cut, it first mentions the elements about them that do fit into the category before saying, but they fall short on one of the characteristics, so therefore they are excluded. In other words, rather than relate to Tumah as a substance in its own right, we see that Tumah is just the absence of a certain kind of existence. It's the absence of certain criteria and therefore that ex- that cause it to be excluded. But the presence, the positive, the existence, that which is uh, is is instrumental to us truly fulfilling our purpose. The real uh, end game of Tumavitara is bringing us closer to Akadosh Baruch It's finding the Tahor things so we can capitalize on them, utilize them to uh, attain not just Tara but Kedusha. That's the because Tara is the preparatory state. It's the state in which the physical is not hindering in any way. Uh, whereas Kedusha is the next step where we move even beyond the uh, uh, the, the material uh, to to higher to transcendence, um, because Torah is not itself kedusha. Torah is that which can become kadosh, or that which can be instrumental to that which is kadosh. So t- things that are tahor are not necessarily kadosh. Hekdesh is something which is consecrated to the service of the Beit Hamikdash. Something has to be tahor in order to be uh, involved in the service of the Beit Hamikdash. But it's not automatic. Not automatically is everything tahor necessarily kadosh. What is kadosh is the you is the purpose towards uh, which you pl- and you know the purpose in whose service you place the item. That's what makes it kadosh. Um, whereas tara is simply that it is ready for that. It, it lends itself to that. It's prepared for kedusha. So if understanding the midrash that way, it's really a very very profound idea. It's telling us not to focus on tuma as a subject in its own right, but to really focus on Tara with Tuma being that which doesn't make the cut. And I had mentioned in closing that we can see this also in the Parashat HaShavuaf, Parashat Emor, the avoidance of Tumat Met. That Tumat Met, uh, the idea that the Kohanim are not involved in Tumat Met, especially when you think that the Jewish people just came out of Mitzrayim. And in Mitzrayim, the whole religion revolved around death. It revolved around the fear of death. And the fear of our own mortality and vulnerability and, uh, you know, and a keen sense of our physicality and, and what that means about our lives on earth. And therefore the Kohanim, their main function was a funerary function. Their main function was dealing with the dead, rituals related to the dead and, and, and comforting people that they shouldn't fear death, that they should feel that they're somehow assured and afterlife and the pyramids, the whole culture really revolved around the fear of death and attempting to avoid uh, avoid the uh, frightening prospect of the end of physical life. So when you think about that, that was what the Kohanim mainly did in Egypt and that the Torah comes along and says, no, 
a Kohen is involved in Tara. A Kohen has to maintain his Tara. A Kohen is Kadosh. A Kohen is not allowed to be involved in these kinds of things. It's contradictory to, to, to Kehuna because what Kehuna is about is about Tara and Ivdu Hashem Besimcha, not out of fear, not because of avoidance of some kind of evil forces, but because of the goodness that is in Avodat Hashem, not only in this world, of course, we believe in Olam Haba. We believe that the, that there's a, that the soul uh, lives on into eternity. But the, uh, but we don't spend our energy avoiding the fearsome prospect of death of, uh, or focusing on the Tumah of death and all that it implies. Rather, the Kohen steers clear of that and focuses on life and direct our attention to life, and direct our attention to Tara and to Kedusha, and to reaching higher and higher levels of development and perfection in our own souls. That's really what, uh, wh- why the Kohanim avoid uh, tumat, tumat Met, so that they shouldn't be involved with that dimension of, uh, you know, w- with that kind of uh, realm of human experience and emotion and uh, religious uh, attitudes and sentiments that are centered on death, but rather that they should direct us away from that towards life and towards the simcha that there is in Avodat Hashem. And so I, I believe that this is what we said mainly about the Midrash. I think it really was a beautiful, beautiful Midrash, the way that it tied in the idea of Tara. It tied in the idea of Tumat Met and Kohanim, and it tied in the idea that why we why the Torah gives preferential treatment to Tara over Tumah. Not that it never says the word Tameh, but when it sets it in, when it sets up the framework, it first emphasizes Tara to show us that that is really the goal, and that Tumah is not a thing in and of itself to be feared or to be focused on, but Tara is what we uh, is is what our first priority is. So when I had also mentioned that, just recalled that I also mentioned that there's a minhag when we read Parashat to end the aliyot on tahor who something with the word tahor always something with the word pure um, which even though you know it's just a minhag but it does reflect a certain attitude that we want to emphasize purity and the the striving for purity quote unquote or readiness preparedness uh, to serve God over uh, its contradiction which is tumah. So I hope that this summarizes and clarifies the main points that we discussed on Shabbat.